Hi, everybody. Welcome to INE Live. I'm your host, Katherine Brown. We have a special stream coming at you today in honor of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Blue Team experts Chris Leach and Jason Alvarado are on hand to talk to you about what Blue Teams can do for your cybersecurity team and why Blue Teams are so important in the realm of defense. First, as we do each time we stream here on INE Live, I want to let you know we are streaming live right now across social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. I see a lot of people already chiming in. We've got people from Sweden, India, the Philippines, uh, Quebec, Canada, Aida in Maryland in the house today. Thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to see your questions and your comments. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using today so you can stay in the loop when we do get live and get those alerts. We want you to get involved, talk to us, talk to others in the chat. We love to see that. Our team is monitoring chat, so if you have a comment, drop it in there. If you have a question, put a cue at the beginning so we can find those questions easily. We'll get to as many as we can today. We would love to hear from you. Some quick introductions. Chris Leach is a cyber defense and threat hunting instructor here at INE. He has more than 30 industry certifications across various fields, recently earned his Doctor of Technology, Cybersecurity and Information Assurance from Colorado Technical University, and serves as a subject matter expert in digital forensics for the Department of Defense and the Department of Justice. As for Jason Alvarado, he is a cyber defense and threat hunting instructor here at INE as well. He has more than two decades of IT experience, which includes performing incident response for Fortune 100 companies. Jason spent some time as a police officer in the Denver area, then jumped into digital forensics. He as well has a number of certifications across fields. Chris and Jason, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Catherine. That's great to be here, Catherine. Awesome. All right, so we are going to jump right into it. Uh, for you guys, I gave brief backgrounds, of course, but um, let's start with you, Chris. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into this field, and how you got to where you are today. Uh, yeah, thank you, Catherine. Uh, I spent 22 years working in technology, and I've always been a, a lifelong learner, a lifelong dreamer in technology. Um, decided that I wanted to just continue and, and strive for something more in digital forensics, footprinting. Um, just decided I wanted to just keep going and just not stop. So pushing the absolute limit of myself and the pieces around me. Um, so I progressed beyond associates, bachelor's, master's, doctorate, worked in some pretty large companies doing some really cool things. And then just cybercrime and pieces decided to pick itself up and just wanted to make sure that I could help companies do the best they could possibly do. And, you know, multiple different ways I started seeing um, transitions to uh, different aspects to where training became something that was more of an, uh, a need. More and more companies were, were trying to figure out how to fill gaps and companies and people were just very pigeonholed into what they needed. And so I decided that, you know, it behooved me to just decide to keep going and just keep pushing my limits and then train the people below me and help them train. And then we train and then just keep going. So it's, it's always been my passion to continue on with cybersecurity and security as a whole. But I wanted to understand a broad breadth of everything that comes through, not just one specific area, one little niche hole. And as, as many people will tell you that security is not about a specific portion, it's about a holistic look. And so I wanted to be able to take the blinders off and not look at one specific part in defense and take a look at the whole picture, step back and understand what was really going on. So I pushed myself to that full limit. Yeah, and you have the uh, the credentials to prove it. Jason, um, want to get into uh, to your background as well. What is your kind of general background and your path to where you are today? You know, I, I'm the person, you know, I've always been inside of a computer since I was probably 14 years old. And uh, I've always wanted to know how computers work. Um, and, and I just took my career from there. Uh, I did everything in IT from, you know, help desk to system engineering and system integration work. So learning how, um, 
computers and servers and applications interact and making those things work together. Uh, kind of took a break and, and went into law enforcement. And uh, when I stopped doing law enforcement, I wanted to go back into IT, but I knew I didn't exactly want to get back into the into the system administration and, and, and working with uh, Microsoft applications, direct type work. So uh, I, I really started learning about uh, cybersecurity because the cybersecurity term didn't really exist when, you know, in my pre Day, uh, my days before law enforcement. Um, and I found forensics and I found incident response. And I, I really, really enjoyed learning how to combine the skills of that I learned from IT and then applying that towards cybercrime and computer investigations. And then just uh, really being able to jump into these large companies and help them solve their problems and then tell them what they can do in the future to mitigate those problems. It, it's, it's fun to me. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head, um, Jason. You know, cybersecurity just as a field in general has evolved so drastically over the past uh, decade and, and just continues, I, I feel like, to pick up steam and uh, to continue to evolve and change almost on a, on a daily and hourly basis. Uh, Jason, I notice you uh, as well are wearing your blue in honor of uh, Blue Team Day here. <laughs> well, I'm there wearing we my blue yeah. in honor. It may be a coincidence on your part, but I decided <laughs> to go, go blue or go home, right? Um, for this, Jason, for this next question, I did want to start with you here. Just if you can explain blue team or the blue team concept, just the kind of the definition, what it is, and what are the responsibilities entailed in, in being a blue teamer? You know, for me, blue team, it, it's a really, really large concept because it's going to be anything you do that's defensive. Um, you know, my specialization and Chris's is forensics and then incident response. But it's also things like um, creating policies, auditing policies, and then it can get more technical, you know, things like um, configuring firewalls, um, managing endpoints, um, as, and, and threat hunting. The most basic one that I, that I love actually is working in the SOC, where you're constantly, continuously watching for problems. So the blue team is, is it's a really huge concept. Uh, what about you, Chris? Do you do you have anything to add there in terms of you know what you've seen, your experience, your your take on that? Yeah, I, and to, to dovetail off of Jason's point and working in SOC and those pieces too, there's also the opposite effect of that is environmental control, so building control, access control, defensive postures to limiting the the root cause of access and who should and who should not be able to access those specific pieces. You know the building structure. You know where you should place this, you know, this data center. That's all goes into the environmental design of what you want to design for that defensive strategy. You know, should you put it in a flood zone? Should you put it in an earthquake zone? All these things have to come into play on in a defensive strategy. You're not going to want to put it into a high flood zone. They're not going to want to put this data center here or there. As a defensive team member, you have to think about where you're going to place these things. While policies and pieces all happen in post-op build, what if you have to make a brand new move? What if you need to make a migration? What if you need to have a secondary thought? Where are you going to put these things? So who needs to access it? You're going to put a new building up or are you going to do a secondary site? You need to think about you know, putting up cameras and guards and fences and lights. All these things come into play because we need to make sure that while accessing, as Jason said, accessing the data and pieces are the most optimum piece to route, we also need to think about external resources as well. Well, who's coming in? Who's going to crash this? Who's going to crash that? Just to get into the door. Yeah, and you're talking a lot about those preemptive, um, you know, those thoughts and those preemptive plans, getting ahead of it, right? Um, kind of yep. on the, on that same thread, um, 
as a company is, is considering a blue team and how to build it and, and how much to invest in it, um, where is the return on investment here for, for companies who are building their blue teams? Well, it all depends on, you know, you can, you can put the, there's no 100% safe. There's never going to be 100% safe. The, the best thing that I can tell you is, is that the more you put into it and shoring up your resources and the higher you put that effort into doing the best you can to mitigate those threats, the best return on your investment. And the old saying goes, and, and Jason probably will, will probably agree with me, is your best days and the loudest applause you get will be the ones that are the quietest days. So the more you do, the better it'll become. Jason, what are your thoughts on that? You agree? No, I, I agree. And, you know, to, to, to kind of follow up on, on Chris, you know, to me, it's all about risk management and risk mitigation. When your return on investment is, is you know, defending your profits and your bottom line, and that's what blue teams exist for. Um, so so the, more, the more training and the more investment you make in your, your defensive um, employees and the, and the more technology you, you adopt and bring in, that you're just protecting your bottom line. Yeah, staying on this train of thought here uh, in terms of companies and, and employing these red and blue teams, why does a company need, um, well, you guys kind of answered that already, but I guess frequently, you know, we, we hear people talking about cybersecurity researchers or information security analysts or these very specific titles um, when quoted in print or on the air or uh, you know in a, in a super in the bottom of the screen. So um, are these positions the same as blue team? Jason, I'll throw that over you, to you. You know, I, I actually like this question because it's, it's for me, it's really one team. And I really think that's, and because uh, if you think about it, a red team is really just an extension of your blue team. Um, you know, as an incident responder, one of the key recommendations I would always make is you need to order a penetration test. And so that that is the, the you know the, the red team essentially is doing an audit for your blue team. So then you can step in and you can shore up those holes. Jason, do you or uh, uh, Chris rather do you do you kind of agree there as as to what Jason said, or do you think that blue team should be more of a recognizable term? Do you think it should be um, more of an official term? Well, it's it's an efficiency thing. So the unification between the the two teams is a collaborative effort. And and Jason's right on point. You know, with every sports team across you know the entire globe, there's always offense and defense for everything. Your offensive team is going to help shore up your blue your blue team. Your blue team is going to help shore up the red team and keeping those two teams in line together. It only brings a unification between all of these structure to protect the ultimate piece, which is the intellectual property of the company, keeping that company as close to the vest as possible. And, you know, as close as you can get blue team, while the jobs descriptions and, and they're very incumbent. And when you start seeing positions like analysts, you start seeing engineers, defensive tactics, or you start seeing log analysts or sim analysts, all of those positions, if you start reading into the job descriptions, if you start unfolding those specifics, you'll start to see they have defensive strategies that are built into them. Even some penetration tests actually have defensive strategies because you have to understand what a penetration tester is doing. Those have to be able to actually break forward and understand how the layers of defensive strategies work and how to unveil them and how to get through them. So while a red team member is very, very attack centric, they also have to understand how the defensive works. 
Yeah, I imagine there's a, there's has to be a lot of synergy there between these teams and a lot of cooperation and coordination when you're when you're dealing with things that are so technical and that involve so much um, from so many different teams. Uh, Jason, I, I was as I was researching um, what I some of the things I wanted to talk to you about. One of the things that kept coming back was career paths and how important those are. And Chris, um, you were just talking about all the different jobs you can take, you know, and, and I'm curious uh, actually for, from both of you on what you think in terms of career paths and how specifically they need to be laid out at the get-go or how much leniency there is in terms of starting with a single job or position and then sort of finding your way within the field. So that's a really great question. And I think we're all working really hard on finding the right career path. And, um, you know, I was just doing some research this week too. Um, and I was looking at some, some job labor statistics and stuff. And, and what I'm finding out is, is, you know, there's, there's close to, you know, 450,000 open entry level blue team positions out there. And those are positions that you really just have to have some entry level cybersecurity training and you get to go and typically work in a SOC or work as like a, a junior information security analyst or something like that. And you get a lot of on the job training for that. And then you also get exposure to all levels of what we do on the defensive or blue team. And, and you kind of get to help chart out your career from there, because I'll say that, you know, not everybody knows exactly what they want to do in this industry when they, when they say, Hey, I want to be in cybersecurity. So the, the, these entry level blue team positions, they're just, they're the perfect place to start really, whether you're interested in any type of IT position. Chris, do you, um, do you agree with that? Or do you, you know, I'm curious about your take specifically on mm -hmm. a career. I know you've had this sort of winding path <laughs> through, um, yeah. through these various areas, but you know, did you know exactly the path you wanted to take or, and how important do you think that is from the get go? Yeah. And, and it's, it's, I, I've said it time and time again, um, no two paths are ever going to be the same. Um, you can plant your seed in, in, I started mine in, in networking and I really wanted to do networking. And I really thought the idea of bridging two worlds together through a digital network was going to be the best thing ever. And after almost three and a half, four years into it, I found out I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Mm -hmm. I just, just, it just wasn't something I really found to passionate. And the great thing about working in technology is that you have the ability to back up and take what you've learned and transition over to a different set. And that's exactly what I did. Now, security was always in my focus and it was always a part of what I did, but it didn't have a complete narrow. So with Blue Team Tactics, understanding the networking layer only enhanced what I already did. Now, many people ask, you know, hey, is there one specific roadmap for a Blue Team member? No, the roadmap is you what you find is going to be the most impactful that you want to do tools you know specific utilities that you want to learn you know sim logs and pieces like that they're utilities the biggest utility is going to be you the one piece that you have to realize is that you're going to be the most adaptive utility ever and the more tools you get exposure to here at INE and other locations and other pieces you get exposure to the best way you can do it is to never pigeonhole it, it one piece that that utility and tool just at all, you need to expand yourself beyond that one set of tools, get real good at it, and then continue to look at a different tool. All because once you get into one organization, it's not going to be the same at another organization, because there's been after almost 
two decades and working on my third, there has not been one organization that's ever been the same. In defensive strategies and offensive strategies, there's not been one organization that's ever been the same. They all have different types of tools. So why pigeon put yourself into a box and draw lines around yourself? That's not how IT works. It's not what technology or security is all about. Security has a complete in-depth layer. So learn them all because it makes you that much more better to help strategize with everybody to become more defensive. I love one thing you just said there, Chris, uh, the roadmap is you, right? It's so empowering for people to understand that, that you really have control, right? It's what you do, it's the initiative that you take, and you really determine your own fate um, in, in this in this field as well as you know just just throughout life so really empowering there um i do want to get mm -hmm. to some questions that we're getting from the audience we have a ton of engagement coming through so thanks everyone keep those questions coming in we're going to uh, to get to as many as we can tonight but our uh, today rather it's not nighttime yet is it at least not here not in raleigh north carolina um but i want to get to one this is from vera watching on youtube and vera asks what are the many problems facing uh faced by companies in cybersecurity? in general? It's a pretty broad question, um, but if you two want to each, you know, take a specific problem or challenge that companies are facing specifically in the realm of cybersecurity right now, um, that would be great. Jason, you want to go give it a crack? You know, I think uh, one of the biggest challenges companies face right now is uh, is the end user education for their employees. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of unfair to those employees too, because they don't actually understand cybersecurity. And so a, a, a lot of things can happen to them and they don't expect it's coming, you know, like uh, email phishing and what to do about that. Or uh, even, even uh, one of the top threat vectors I saw today was still just the social engineering, picking up the phone and calling somebody and pretending to be somebody else and and tricking them in, into giving away sensitive information. So I think that, that it, it, it's the responsibility of those of us that understand cybersecurity to teach that out to our end users via user education in the companies we work at. I think that that really is the number one problem that companies face is, some, is sometimes their own employees. Um, beyond that, it's also just relying on, uh, I see a lot of relying on one type of technology and some, and some AI and artificial intelligence to kind of protect themselves and not really, not really invest in, in their blue team. Yeah, um, I've heard it so many times, hear it over and over and over again, that people think that they would never fall for those scams or those schemes, right, when they get the email. And you look back upon reflection, you're like, how did you even do that? But time and time again, people who are very smart, very educated, you know, um, uh, get ensnared in these, um, in these types of phishing schemes. And uh, you never think it'll happen to you. You never think it'll happen to your employees. But, um, you know, time and time again, it does. I'm so glad to hear you say that and and you know particularly since it is Cybersecurity uh, awareness month it's is a really good time i'd be remiss if i didn't remind everyone that ine has a cybersecurity awareness training platform that we offer to businesses and everyone for free so be sure to go on our website on that note and check that out uh, but let's get back to the question chris um biggest challenge that companies face in terms of cybersecurity. what's your take so compliance um with more and more companies making a transition to cloud um, because of the current state of the world right now, endpoint detection and zero trust is, and with more companies having to make fast decisions, it, it's very, very difficult for them to transition. They're making a very difficult time. So they're having to do things faster and having to be able to adhere to compliance and trying to 
and so that puts a lot of pressure on their teams to try to have to adapt quickly um, to those rising changes fast. And over the last few years and a lot of new deployments that I've seen and, and friends of mine who are still working in the field, the headaches that they're going through trying to make changes to try to adapt to bring up a you know work from home force that was never really supposed to be a work from home force and having to address that those new threats you know dovetailing off of Jason's part as those new users that are now working from home how do we shore up our data how do we make it safe and how do we make it compliant so those are very big pieces that I've been hearing a lot and more and more lately yeah and you're absolutely right I mean the whole world really was thrust into this work remote situation scenario before the majority of people and companies were really prepared for it. Um, and so I think it's been a scramble for a lot of companies and a lot of individuals to, to keep up with that data protection, right, and that compliance, to your point. Um, we're getting a lot of questions coming in about uh, certification specifically. So I want to transition and ask you guys a couple questions about that. Um, the first, uh, let's see, I'm probably going to butcher this name. I apologize. Bye, Bob. Uh, Vibov, who is watching on YouTube, first of all, thanks for your question. Uh, he asked, hello, TM, CCNA and RNS certified working on CCNP, RNS plus learning firewall. What should be the next step in security domain and what other certifications should I go for? So we can address this question specifically and then uh, again, a few more questions on, um, on certifications. But what do you think? Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, CCNP actually has a security domain definitely would would definitely tell you to take that one into consideration. Um, probably if you're going to take a look at firewall, diversify yourself outside of Cisco. So make a jump to a different vendor, diversify your portfolio, sticking with one single vendor while Cisco is the predominant. Also take a look at Palo Alto, take a look at Checkpoint. Um, they're all great into the vendor space. Um, if you really want to continue on with your with your networking piece, continue on with that. But I would definitely take a look at Juniper, um, any of the other platforms or maybe go cloud definitely would not shy away from those. Jason, what's your take on that? You know, I'm going to kind of go the same way as Chris, but a little different. I'm going to say uh, try and step away from the vendor-specific uh, certifications if you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're very important. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. But what those vendor-specific certifications do is they teach you how to use their product and sometimes in, in very specific circumstances. So I, I would step down to the vendor-neutral certifications. Um, out there that that, that that kind of that kind of cover your bases because if, if if you learn those then then you're you're kind of building the pyramid and and the all of a sudden all the vendor specific stuff just makes sense and and you're just learning how to apply their technology and then uh, again I would agree with Chris you know learn how to use the security stacks within Amazon Web Services Azure and 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 even GCP um, that's going to get you a long way. A uh, follow-up to that question, uh, and, and your answer may be the same, but I'm curious. This is from Sajad, also watching on YouTube. Thanks for your question. Best blue team certification, hands down. Jason? That's a hard one. I, I can't think of any specific one, honestly, um, because it, here's my take on certifications, especially the state of where we're in now. There's a lot of major certification vendors. If you if you break them down to what, you know, as an educator, what I would call learning domains, mm -hmm they're all the same. You, you learn the same concepts, you learn the same, uh, almost the same terminology. Um, what I think what it comes down to, though, is the the uh, how meaningful is the certification. So the certifications that are going to test your application of knowledge versus uh, memorization, 
I think those certifications are going to go a lot further with your uh, hiring managers and, and the people interviewing you. Awesome. Uh, transitioning to uh, obviously staying on Blue Team, but um, I had a question coming in from Daniel watching on YouTube. What kind of metrics can be set for Blue Team as you're measuring whether what your team is doing is effective, whether it's working, whether it's efficient? Um, Chris, what, what are the metrics, the best metrics to use here? So, I mean, it, it, there are multiple ways to judge your return on investments, but also your ability um, to stop attacks, obviously, you know, to thwart them off. You're, you're recognizing these things are coming through and they're being stopped. You know, the, the saying goes, and, and I continuously hash on it, is, you know, it's not a matter of, of you know, if you get attacked, it's when and what you're going to do about it. You know, having a good incident response team that's very effective and rushing through and being able to identify those attacks and be able to thwart them with low impact and being able to keep things running with low impact and, and it's very low impactful to the business and the companies don't necessarily know. And it's been clocked and you're being able to fine tune these specific things and being able to make adaptive changes on the fly. Those KPIs are very important for your managers and they're very important for those pieces. So actually identifying and making those adaptive rules changes for KPIs and metrics, those are probably the most adaptive that I can think of. There's, it would all depend on the environment. Um, each environment will have a different set of metrics and it will all depend on what tools and pieces you're gonna be able to have uh, access to. Jason, what do you think? You know, I, I, I heard Chris say something earlier and it was compliance. And, and mm -hmm. I think I start there with that. That is be my first metric. You know, am I complying with whatever uh, regulations are out there? And I, and I set that as as like as my bottom, right? Because there, there's a big argument that, you know, compliance is security and security isn't compliance and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think compliance is the bare minimum. Once you've checked all your compliance boxes, so some key metrics in there, you know, what does your vulnerability management program look like? Do you know what's vulnerable in your in your organization and you know that there's some reasons why maybe you can't patch a server so what are you doing about it are you building your defenses up around it um you know are, are you are you making sure the sim or your sock analysts are paying extra attention to that uh beyond that for metrics um if you have a sock what are they what is your sock doing on a daily basis you know are they responding to incidents rapidly are they identifying the right incidents um is your sim bringing in the right amount of information? And you know, and, and, and you know, maybe are your SOC analysts waiting for an alert, or are they using like an assumed compromise methodology? And they're out there looking at the current trends and looking to see if there's a breach that the system hasn't detected. So you can build metrics around all that stuff, and and the more you do, the better on that. Taking that question and sort of turning it uh, turning it on its head, right? not looking so much from an exterior perspective at performance, but looking more uh, from an interior. Great question coming in from Nick Barker watching on YouTube uh, today. What do you feel is the most effective way to show you're developing your skills? Jason, we'll start with you. Oh, I love this. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I love, first of all, I love seeing people develop their skills. You know, I, I think in security, you should always be looking for a new skill to learn you should always be looking to see how the environment has changed because I mean, I'm sure Chris would agree too. this, this security world changes. I, I think daily is too slow. It changes by the hour sometimes. Hour. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, 
And and as a manager, which I have managed teams before, you know, I so I, I'm looking at, at who is keeping current with their trends, who is working, putting that extra effort in to develop the skills, you know, ha, have they identified where they're weak in uh, and, and are they working on it? So, you know, maybe uh, it's, it's really common to get employees into a SOC that they have a lot of log analysis and, uh, and, and just, just, just looking at the SIM skills. So are they, are they increasing their operating system skills, right? Do, do they understand um, how the events in Windows interact with each other and, 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 and the causality of, of those reactions? So I'm just, I'm always looking for people that are going to try and push themselves <laughs> to the next level. Um, because I, I really don't think you should ever be happy or feel safe in the current role. You should always be pushing for more information and that next job role. Yeah, Nick, uh, Nick, always the funny man here. I've started to notice, Nick, you're, you're a funny guy. Suggest uh, maybe photo collage. What do you think, Chris? You think a, you think a photo collage is, a, is effective blog? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But, but Nick, how much I, if, yeah, initiative if do you have could, to uh, if, Yeah, Nick, if I could give you probably, this would be the best case of advice. Find, find a place to post up a WordPress site. Start posting your summaries together in a portfolio. If you feel comfortable with your try hack me's or hack the box blog post or do write ups on specific incidents. So SolarWinds had an incident, do a write up about it. Do a deep dive analysis and post that up and then post it into LinkedIn. Show that you're developing an analysis mindset beyond what is your normal scope of daily life. If you've gone through and you've understand a specific skill set and you've gone through and you've understand a Voln box or you've gone into Voln Hub and you've gone through and cracked a bunch of stuff, build out a website, put your stuff in it. Show your skills. Then when somebody says, hey, do you have anything you can show? Post that on your post that on your LinkedIn, post that on your resume. Here, check out my piece. Or you got a GitHub where you've built up repositories. You want to post those up? That's where I would put them. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. Yeah, and we, we've talked um, on this show and on other streams with a number of recruiters, and they just echo those same sentiments. Like, take the initiative, show that you're passionate, right? Show that you're energetic and just start doing things and connecting with the community. And that, um, you know, recruiters will tell you, hiring managers will tell you goes so far um, in any field and particularly, uh, particularly in this field. Great question coming in from Noah Richardson right now watching on YouTube. Um, a lot of letters in this one, so bear with me. Uh, Noah says, I'm in the PTS path in INE, then EJPT with hands-on experience on Try Hack Me, then the INE Threat Hunter path on INE. Is this a sound lineage to being a threat hunter? Chris? Short answer, yes. Long answer, you're, you're on the right path, but make sure that's what you really want to do. Threat hunting has a lot of variable skills, so make sure that you diversify your skill set. So threat hunters have a variable skills beyond just with PTS and INE, EJTP, and the threat hunters. Those are threat hunting, um, but there are a lot of skills that a threat hunter is going to need. And ma make sure your your tool set, like a carpenter, is very diverse, because attackers, APTs use everything in their toolbox, you should be able to use the same thing to hunt them back. Jason, what are your what do you think on that? No, I, I agree completely. I think that uh, this is one of the more unique places in, in in blue team is because to be a threat hunter, you have to, to fully understand the techniques of your opposition. Uh, so, so you have to this this is where getting a uh, 
a, a penetration testing certification is going to help you be a better threat hunter and a better blue teamer because it, it, it's just it's so critical to to not just understand the tools that they use, but to understand their mindset and, and, and how they're going to get into a network. So yeah, I think you're on the right track with that. But like I said with, with Chris, uh, or like what Chris said, I mean, you know, the more the more you build out that toolbox on on everything is gonna make you a much better threat hunter. Uh, staying yep. on that, the, the, the threat hunting vein, Jason, what do you think is the biggest challenge of being a threat hunter? You know, I think it's keeping current on everything. I think it's also realizing that, for lack of a better word, in a lot of cases, you're, you are dealing with professionals. You know, they, might, they may not be good guys, but they are professionals. Just like we develop playbooks, they develop playbooks. As we learn how to defend against them, they're watching what we're doing and they're pivoting. So I, th I think being a threat hunter is the, you know, if you're working in, in again, in a SOC, you're looking at alerts, right? If you're a threat hunter, you're looking into the raw details of those logs. So you have to understand that stuff. And, and, and you have to understand that, you know, say, if, if, if right now an EDR tool looks for a problem this way, the hackers have figured that out. So how are they getting into you now? So just, I mean, you're talking I'm daily threat hunting and daily learning. You, you, you never stop learning in that career. Mm -hmm. What do you think, uh, Chris? Yeah, so smoke screens are probably going to be your biggest issue. Um, common common problems that you run into as a threat hunter is, is commonplace redirection. Don't get caught up on the shiny. You know, and, and I've said this before, if it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck, it's probably a chicken on purpose. So don't get caught up with it. If it's <laughs> If it's there to deflect you on purpose, it's there to deflect you on purpose. So don't focus narrowly on things get real deep into it there's, there's a lot of reasons why these guys are pro at doing it remember the attackers and the hackers that are there to hurt you are there to do bad business they're also attending the same trainings you are on purpose so if you're going to these trainings for your &E, you're going to trainings with rsa you're going to trainings at sands all the other things too remember they're also attending these things as regular individual people coming from a different country, taking these same trainings, learning all the newest cool stuff. Why? They need to figure out how to break through them. Yeah, and I'll just add on, you know, one, one thing that when I first started down this, my cybersecurity education path, my first instructor pulled out some Sun Tzu on me, right? And it, and it was know yourself, know your enemy. And that goes both ways, mm -hmm. especially with threat hunting. Yeah, I think you guys made an, an awesome point right there and such an important point that uh, the bad guys are professionals, right? They know what they're doing just like the good guys do. Um, and, and the sooner that everyone recognizes that, that it's not just a, you know, a rogue outfit of you know, disorganized thugs out there, um, but, but instead it is a very organized uh, you know, contingent of people who are very, very smart. Um, you know, I, I was looking through some of these comments and just looking through social media. Um, a lot of people, it seems, want to be penetration testers or hackers. Like, there's so much interest in that particular area. Why do you think that is, and is there an issue with that? Like, why should students consider this career path over another? You know, it's uh, it's in the movies. It's it's exciting to watch somebody hack something. Um, it's 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 easy to. Uh, 
to build competitions against and, ju and just build that excitement. Uh, but I, I think that, that you might be limiting yourself a little bit if, if your goal is to, is to just be a penetration tester. And I, and I do think that, uh, as that, as that career space gets flooded, um, there's not going to be less opportunities, but there's going to be more competition. Um, I'm not saying don't become a pen tester if that's what you want to do, but, but know that in your, that moving into some of these blue team roles will make you a better pen tester down the line. So that can be an end goal in your cybersecurity education. That's a great point, Chris. I, I'd have to advocate on, on to that end. Um, a lot of people want to be the hacker in the corner in the basement with a hoodie. Um, I would say <clears throat> take a step back and go purple. Purple team is a collective between both. And being, if you want to be a pen tester and you want to be a blue teamer as well, stepping into a purple team role and combining those two utility tools together, you begin to set yourself apart from the rest of everybody else. Now you come to the table approaching companies in a different mindset. I understand red, I understand blue. I can help shore up the problems by exposing the problems. I can tell you what's broken and now I can tell you how to fix it. Companies like a fuller package. If I'm just gonna hack you all day long and that's my goal, eventually, like Jason said, Everybody wants to be the cool hacker guy. It's sexy, it's in the movies. Hollywood portrays it as an awesome, look at Swordfish, look at hackers movies from the 90s. That's that's the cool part. The reality is, is defense wins games. But if you have a good understanding of how the offensive works and the defensive works, what happens? You become a fuller package and you can, you can negotiate at the table for a better rate or have more negotiation to understanding what that company's gonna need from a holistic perspective. Yeah, staying in that on that same theme, uh, a scene. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. On YouTube, is asking, what's the difference between traditional infrastructure security teams and blue team? If you can just go into some detail on that, Chris. Um, it, there's infrastructure security is literally built on on the idea of protecting physical medium. Blue team perspectives also deal with policies, also deal with adherence policies and compliance. We may also have to work with other teams to come up with set scenarios. We may have to understand different parts of pieces that are outside of the infrastructure technology area. Where are, where are areas of compromise for a building? Where are areas of compromise in the parking lot? What, you know, what kind of destruction methods do we have for sensitive material? You know, what are our backup solutions looking like and have they been tested? multiple different ways that infrastructure may not necessarily have to take into consideration. What are your thoughts on that, Jason? Yeah, you know, I think as blue teamers, we're looking, uh, you know, at the whole package, like, like Chris said, you know, when, when you get into like an infrastructure IT team, they're just, they're really focused on protecting and defending their stuff, but they're looking to you to tell them, you know, what they need to do and how to do that. And then the same thing with like your, uh, your physical infrastructure, you know, the, those security guys, you know, they, they only know how to, to protect a building, but they don't know that they have critical data. They could provide a, a blue team or say, um, for our, uh, location-based defenses and geo tracking, you know, if, if I could plug in, you mentioned a SIM a second ago, Catherine, if, if I could plug in the security badge database logs into my SIM, then I can compare where people are badging in 
to where they're logging in. And I can then include that into my security package. So that that's what I think of as a, as a blue team. We're, we're kind of looking at everything and we're trying to bring in all the data so we can make good security decisions and detect things. So uh, it's a great answer, by the way. And uh, I love this. I'm, I'm, again, reading these comments. Just got a, a comment from uh, Vibhav. Again, sorry about the name, but uh, just thanking you guys, saying thank you. Honestly speaking, you cleared my mind. We'll surely follow your advice. So um, appreciate you guys asking questions. Uh, Chris and Jason, appreciate you, you know, giving very candid and honest answers um, to these questions. Have another one coming in from CSF, watching on YouTube. How do you establish a blue team at an organization? What are some specific steps for doing this? Uh, Chris, we'll start with you here. Um, start asking your red team for, for uh, people who want something different. And the reason is, is because red team perspectives and red team members are constantly having to beat up stuff. Start asking for people who are doing jobs that they're currently in the network infrastructure, maybe maybe system security, maybe system admins and stuff. You can start developing a good IR response team with your existing team and just having them bring forth their tribal knowledge and getting together that information and start developing an emergency response plan start building up and start getting architectural diagrams together. So start building up some defensive strategies to where you can start looking at defense in, in defense in depth and how to be able to understand those things. A lot of companies don't really look at the blue team as a pivotal moment until something happens as an after effect. And then it's like, oh, well, why wasn't this broken? Why wasn't this, you know, why wasn't this hole plugged? Well, the dam is built until there's a hole. Once the hole opens, then the next thing you know, all the water's coming out and then you want to pay to get it fixed. So how do you fix it? Well, you've got to identify that there's a hole. Well, the red team is going to tell you. Well, the red team may not necessarily know how to fix it. So getting your red team on board with understanding that, yeah, thank you for exposing it. Would you like to try something a little different? So kind of approaching what you currently do have and seeing where your current skill sets lie and then seeing how you can adaptify it. Jason, do you think that team approach, that kind of getting everyone, bringing everyone into the fold is the, uh, is the way to go? Yeah, I, I do. And, uh, you know, un unfortunately, I, I see a lot of blue teams that start that way. And it's not unfortunate they're, that they're collaborating, but it's unfortunate because um, a, a lot of times companies don't realize they need a blue team until after they have an incident. You know, and, and that's that's what I saw a lot of in, in 2020. You have a lot of subject matter experts. You've got a firewall expert. You've got a systems expert. You've got a database expert. They play in their own silos. They're, they're experts on their systems and they know what to do, but they're, they may not be talking together. I think the first step to building a blue team is to get them talking together. And then like Chris said, building policies. And then, uh, I, you know, it's going to require also some management education. You know, uh, you know, if you just looking at the statistics lately, I mean, the, the average ransomware demand starts at, you know, around $800,000. Hmm. So can you afford to pay $800,000 to decrypt your data, you know? And, and they might ransom you more for a data release. So especially if you're in like the manufacturing or the research industries, you know, it, is, is it worth it, the potential to have my intellectual property get leaked? And then how much it's going to cost you at easily twice as much to, to build out a blue team and an infrastructure for security after the fact than it is before. I, I do think we're getting help, help now from uh, cybersecurity insurance. Um, a lot of times they're requiring that you demonstrate your blue team capabilities. So I think that that's kind of a good little nudge that's happening to companies these days too. Yeah, that's the nightmare scenario, right? Uh, getting that message that 
you've been hacked, there's been a breach, you know, you peek out your office window, you see the news cameras gathering on the front lawn and, and it, it just goes downhill um, from there. So stopping it is <laughs> critical. We can't say that message enough. You know, I feel like I feel like I personally say it all the time and you guys uh, same, you know, it's 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 just echoing that message of blue team is so important. Chris, interesting question for you. And um, I just want to get your take on this. This is from aspiring physicists and it's a perfect question for you. Uh, can a PhD help in getting higher in cybersecurity and getting mastery or doing the job and getting experience? What's the value of a PhD in the cyber field? So PhDs are, are based on philosophy. Um, my doctorate is based on design science, so it's actually um, very well to do in, in philosophy. So can you get higher in cybersecurity by getting a PhD? Yeah, is it required? No, it's not a requirement. I know a lot of people who did not go all the way to the end of education stat and get really good experience. You can get really good experience with small amount of investment. You can get one or two certifications to get yourself into the door. And you know the, the good honest part is, is the utilities and training that you get and the experience you get here at INE and the certifications that you get can help you get the interview. Convincing yourself that you've got the job moving forward, getting the experience that you need can land you a very good job making six figures over the course of five to 10 years and you'll get there. Do you need to have a PhD? No. Why did I get a doctorate? I wanted to challenge myself to go to the furthest end of the rainbow because it, being a doctor in my field and in my family, that's not in the medical field. I wanted to go that high. Do you need to go that high? No. Do I recommend it? Absolutely not. If you want to, great. More power to you, but it's not required. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you. Uh, going back to something that we were talking about a, a few minutes ago, um, Jason, this question coming in from Bart. How can blue team members convince unwilling management to invest in certain necessary measures to protect their infrastructure? You know, I really like that because that has been a challenge and that's not a new challenge. This has been a new, this, this has been a challenge since we started turning computers on, <laughs> you, you know? Um, and honestly, I think that's on us as, as technology experts, we have to learn the language of business. Um, so, you know, you talked about things like ROIs. We have, we have to be able to explain the risks in our C-level executives language. So we have to be able to explain risk and, and we have to explain, you know, how to mitigate those risks and, and, and have to use their language. It's something I'm still learning too, but I mean, you, you just have to, you have to like unlearn how you use acronyms and talking fast about technology and assuming everybody knows what you're talking about because when, when you think about it, your, your C-suite knows about business. Mm -hmm. they, they, they leave the cybersecurity to the cybersecurity experts. But when something happens, somebody's got to explain that to them. And then they have to explain even the decisions that they're making, how things are going to happen based on this. Jason, how critical do you think it is to have those, um, to have excellent communication skills as someone who is on the IT team, blue team, red team, what have you, in terms of communicating what is happening and the need for uh, training, extra budget, you know, what have you to those higher management levels. How important is, are those communication skills? I think it's critically important. Um, you know, uh, when I got my bachelor's degree, the one class I hated was my business and professional communications class. You know what class was the most important one that I took? It was that one. Uh, <laughs> learning how to take an idea and even converting that idea into a well thought out email or a report 
it's important, you know, and, you know, as an incident responder, I, I live and breathe in like the supporting details section of my reports where I just, mm-hmm. I get to be a nerd and I get to talk about everything I see in nerd talks. But, but if you, but in these reports, there's also an executive summary, you know, in there, again, like, like I just said a little bit ago, you have to be able to break all that down and, and then you're going to have to be able to explain that report, you know, sometimes quickly and succinctly in a conference call. So everybody gets it. And it might not even be, you know, see people in the business, see little people in the business. It could be a lawyer. It, it could be, it could be a PIO. So they understand how to communicate that out to the company or the public. Uh, Chris, any tips, any, you know, ideas, strategies for overcoming this, for, um, you know, communicating better with upper management or convincing upper management that may be unwilling that they need to invest in, you know, certain areas of infrastructure? Every nerd idea, every nerd acronym you think or possibly want to put in it, don't put it in there. They have no idea what it means. (laughs) They will never be able to, you'll never be able to explain to them what a next generation firewall is in any way, shape or form. Your best use case is going to be those soft skills. Break it down to them in the most simplistic form because they want to know at the end of the day that the money that they're about ready to give you, whether it's $1.4 million for a brand new set of stack of a 48U whole entire server, or it's going to be to invest in corporate infrastructure and OPSEC for AWS or Azure or GCP, you need to convince them in the most simplistic way. It's explaining it to them that it's going to be this amount of money for this amount of protection that's going to cover you in this amount of way in very simple terms because they want to know that the money they're giving you is going to be worth it and they want to know that it's going to give them some sort of level of i can sleep better at night and if you explain it to them and with those terms that you're giving me eight hundred thousand dollars for a next generation firewall over the course of five years and it's going to give you this much protection to mitigate these threats for the insurance company to leave you alone Breaking it down in that simplistic way allows them to think, oh, that's going to be so much better. They won't they won't be all over us, right? Nope, they won't be all over us. This is what we need to do. This is the best option. Here we go. So be very simplistic with your questioning. Give very simple answers. Break things down line by line. But if it's got what we call nerd snipe, where it's got a lot of nerd speak to it, remove it. They're not going to understand it. You want to give it to them in simple terms. It's a firewall for protection. It's got all these subscriptions. These subscriptions provide us this level of comfort and give it to them simple. Keep the nerds speak out. All the letters. Get it out. All the letters. Keep them out. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Totally. Um, All right. We are coming up to the bottom of the hour here, but I I do have one final question for each of you. If you could just give me your take on this. Jason, we'll start with you. Can you just describe a brief summary of a day in the life for those who are watching right now and thinking, you know, maybe this is something um, that I want to pursue. We've had a couple questions from people wondering, oh, should they transition from red team to blue team? What are the challenges? But um, just as a blue team member, what is a day in the life like? We're talking day to day, ticket work, analysis, research. You know, wh- what's it like, Jason? Yeah, you know, and and it's funny because I still stick to these habits even even here at INE as an instructor now. You know, but but I think you you come in and 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 you see see if anything's burning down. First of all, right, because you, you, you can visually walk into your work area and you can feel the stress if there's something going on, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. then and then and, and and then you can just jump right in, you know, and 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 figure out how to help. 
if there's not something going on, you know, uh, my days kind of start with, you know, check email, see what people are expecting of you from the day, right? Check, check, uh, check your uh, Slack or Teams. And then uh, after that, if everything's cool, I start research. I see what's changed overnight. I see what kind of new technologies are out there. I see what my threat actors are doing. And I've got just a, I've got a Feedly list that I've curated that, that just, it, it shows me what I need. Um, I even check uh, world threats, even beyond what's happening in the cybersecurity regime. You know, um, especially if I were an incident responder, I would I would go and look at my list of customers since I, I work as a consultant, and I would see what was going on in their regions, or I would start looking at at what's going on with their verticals. You know, and then start the daily work. You know, uh, I, I did leave out checking the sim. If you're a SOC analyst, you know, that should probably be the check first one. You know, make make sure there's no uh, make sure there's no you know, P3, P4 tickets <laughs> in there, you know. Um, but I, I just, uh, I start my days out with research. And sometimes I close out my days with research. And, and then I make sure I'm just being a beneficial member of the team, seeing where I can help, seeing uh, seeing if there's some, some, if somebody's struggling on something, you know, maybe mentoring somebody too. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do, but I think just, just being task-oriented and having the structure to your day helps out a lot. Contributing, right? Uh, just continuing to be that lifelong learner and bring those lessons and bring that knowledge um, to your team. Chris, uh, different take on it, but uh, I'd love to hear your day in the life of a blue team member. You know, day-to-day -day activities, what you do. Yeah, usually in large organizations, usually you start with the scrum uh, or stand-up meeting. Gather all of our members together from both red and blue find out what's happened in the last 24 hours. So it's usually current events, um, especially in the cyber world, like Jason and I spoke about earlier, things change on an hourly basis. New threats, vulnerabilities that have come out, zero days that have been out in the wild, um, check our feeds, make sure that we're addressing any problems that we may have infrastructurally, check with our vendors, um, start looking with our vendors to see if we've got new vulnerabilities that are available and start researching to find out if we need to make immediate action or not and then start going through our tickets. And then after we do our stand up, go around the room, find out who's here, who's not, who's gonna be doing what, You know, assigning out roles for people to do some validation, taking a look at those validations. If we've got people that are gonna go, you know, people that are in blue team that wanna, wanna get into some red team or red teamers that wanna get into blue team, diversify ourselves, split up, team up, You know, make sure that everybody understands the role cross train, make sure that you know if I'm always doing the sim that I'm working with our firewall guys and I can split off and the firewall guys can work in the sim. So diversify our roles so we don't pigeonhole one person into a position to where somebody, something was to happen to that person or they got sick or, or God forbid something happens with them in COVID and that person wasn't able to come to work, we have somebody to back them up. So making sure we're taking a look at those feeds. Um, you're going to spend a lot of time looking at logs. You're going to look at validation. You're going to spend a lot of time verifying a threat. Um, your job is to make sure that that threat actually is in true factor a threat. Um, for me, uh, I spent a lot of time in data loss prevention. So I spent a lot of time looking at email, making sure these email threats were, uh, were being held in, in quarantine were in fact needed to be held in quarantine or could be released. So doing a lot of data analytics, making sure that these things can actually pass through. You're going to do a lot of tuning, uh, making things functional, making sure that these things are, you know, if they're having a problem, and they're not supposed to have a problem that you're addressing it quickly and swiftly when a ticket does get open. So you don't want the CIO or the CFO getting mad at you because they were supposed to get this report, but it's got some PII in it. And now you've got to say, no, 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 don't do that. And so make some adjustments. 
a lot of teamwork, a lot of collaboration, a lot of synergy. Um, it's called a blue team for a reason, right? Um, keep that in there. Thank you guys so much. Um, that is going to wrap up this special. But Jason, Chris, I really appreciate all of these great questions. To everyone in the audience watching, thanks for sending your questions in. This is fantastic. Um, thank you, guys. That was great to be here. Thank you. Yep. All right, and that wraps up this special Blue Team Cybersecurity stream on INE Live. If you missed it live, look for the replay across our social channels and on the INE website. You can also look for us live next Tuesday, October 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern on whatever social media platform you choose. For Tech Tuesday, we'll have INE instructional designer Dr. Amanda Baluk and AWS instructor Brooke Seahorn here talking about the newest INE cloud certifications. A great discussion there. Uh, and throughout the month of October, we are also hosting special cybersecurity specific streams just like this one in honor of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using so you can stay in the loop when we do go live. We'll see you next time. Until then, have a great week.